the autobiography of goethe volume one by johann von goethe translated by john oxenford section thirty two this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. the autobiography of goethe volume one by johann von goethe translated by john oxenford section thirty two having grown up among those who found fault with gothic architecture i cherished my aversion from the abundantly overloaded complicated ornaments which by their capriciousness made a religious gloomy character highly averse i strengthened myself in this repugnance since i had only met with spiritless works of this kind in which one could perceive neither good proportions nor pure consistency but here i thought i saw a newer revelation of it since what was objectionable by no means appeared but the contrary opinion rather forced itself upon my mind but the longer i looked and considered i all the while thought i discovered yet greater merits beyond that which i have already mentioned the right proportion of the larger divisions the ornamental as judicious as rich even to the minutest were found out but now i recognized the connection of these manifold ornaments among each other the transition from one leading part to another the enclosing of details homogeneous indeed but yet greatly varying in form from the saint to the monster from the leaf to the dental the more i investigated the more i was astonished the more i amused and wearied myself with measuring and drawing so much the more did my attachment increase so that i spent much time partly in studying what actually existed partly in restoring in my mind and on paper what was wanting and unfinished especially in the towers finding that this building had been based on old german ground and grown thus far in genuine german times and that the name of the master on his modest gravestone was likewise of native sound and origin i ventured being incited by the worth of this work of art to change the hitherto decried appellation of quote, gothic architecture end quote, to claim it for our nation as quote, german architecture end quote. nor did i fail to bring my patriotic views to light first orally and afterwards in a little treatise dedicated to the memory of Irvinus asteinbach if my biographical narrative should come down to the epoch when the said sheet appeared in print which herder afterwards inserted in his pamphlet quote, von deutscher art und kunst parenthesis, of german manner and art in parenthesis, end quote. much more will be said on this weighty subject but before i turn from it this time i will take the opportunity to vindicate the motto prefixed to the present volume with those who may have entertained some doubt about it i know indeed very well that in opposition to this hopeful old german saying quote, of whatever one wishes in youth he has abundance in old age end quote, 
many would quote contrary experience and many trifling comments might be made but much also is to be said in its favor and i will explain how i understand it our wishes are presentiments of the capabilities which lie within us and harbingers of that which we shall be in a condition to perform whatever we are able and would like to do presents itself to our imagination as without us and in the future we feel a longing after that which we already possess in secret thus a passionate anticipating grasp changes the truly possible into a dreamed reality now if such a bias lies decidedly in our nature then with every step of our development will a part of the first wish be fulfilled under favorable circumstances in the direct way under unfavorable in the circuitous way from which we always come back again to the other thus we see men by perseverance attain to earthly wealth they surround themselves with riches splendor and external honor others strive yet more certainly after intellectual advantages acquire for themselves a clear survey of things a peacefulness of mind and a certainty of the present and the future but now there is a third direction which is compounded of both the issue of which must be the most surely successful when a man's youth falls into a pregnant time when production overweighs destruction and a presentiment is early awakened within him as to what such an epoch demands and promises he will then being forced by outward inducements to an active interest take hold now here now there and the wish to be active on many sides will be lively within him but so many accidental hindrances are associated with human limitation that here a thing once begun remains unfinished there that which is already grasped falls out of the hand and one wish after another is dissipated but had these wishes sprung out of a pure heart and in conformity with the necessities of the times one might composedly let them lie and fall right and left and be assured that these must not only be found out and picked up again but that also many kindred things which one has never touched and never even thought of will come to light if now during our own lifetime we see that performed by others for which we ourselves felt an earlier call but had been obliged to give it up with much besides then the beautiful feeling enters the mind that only mankind combined is the true man and that the individual can only be joyous and happy when he has the courage to feel himself in the whole this contemplation is here in the right place for when i reflect on the affection which drew me to these antique edifices when i reckon up the time which i devoted to the strasbourg minister alone the attention with which i afterwards examined the cathedral at cologne and that at freiburg and more and more felt the value of these buildings i could even blame myself for having afterwards lost sight of them altogether nay for having left them completely in the background being attracted by a more developed art and when now in the latest times i see attention again turned to those objects 
when i see affection and even passion for them appearing and flourishing when i see able young persons seized with this passion recklessly devoting powers time care and property to these memorials of a past world then am i reminded with pleasure that what i formerly would and wished had a value with satisfaction i see they not only know how to prize what was done by our forefathers but that from existing unfinished beginnings they try to represent in pictures at least the original design so as thus to make us acquainted with the thought which is ever the beginning and end of all undertakings and that they strive with considerate zeal to clear up and vivify what seems to be a confused past here i especially applaud the brave Sulpice Bousseret, who is indefatigably employed in a magnificent series of copper plates to exhibit the cathedral of cologne as the model of those vast conceptions the spirit of which like that of babel strove up to heaven and which were so out of proportion to earthly means that they were necessarily stopped fast in their execution if we have been hitherto astonished that such buildings proceeded only so far we shall learn with the greatest admiration what was really designed to be done would that literally artistic undertakings of this kind were duly patronized by all who have power wealth and influence that the great and gigantic views of our forefathers may be presented to our contemplation and that we may be able to form a conception of what they dare to desire the insight resulting from this will not remain fruitless and the judgment will for once at least be in a condition to exercise itself on these works with justice nay this will be done most thoroughly if our active young friend besides the monograph devoted to the cathedral of cologne follows out in detail the history of our medieval architecture when whatever is to be known about the practical exercise of this art is further brought to light when the art is represented in all its fundamental features by a comparison with the greco-roman and the oriental egyptian little can remain to be done in this department and i when the results of such patriotic labors lie before the world as they are now known in friendly private communications shall be able with true content to repeat that motto in its best sense quote, of whatever one wishes in youth he will have enough in old age End quote. but if in operations like these which belong to centuries one can trust oneself to time and wait for opportunity there are on the contrary other things which in youth must be enjoyed at once fresh like ripe fruits let me be permitted with this sudden turn to mention dancing of which the ear is reminded as the eye is of the minister every day and every hour in strasbourg and all alsace from early youth my father himself had given my sister and me instruction in dancing a task which must have comforted strangely enough with so stern a man but he did not suffer his composure to be put out by it he drilled us in the positions and steps in a manner the most precise 
and when he had brought us far enough to dance a minuet he played for us something easily intelligible in three-four time on a flute douce and we moved to it as well as we could on the french theatre likewise i had seen from my youth upwards if not ballets yet pas seuls and pas de deux and had noticed in them various strange motions of the feet and all sorts of springs when we had had enough of the minuet i requested my father to play some other dance music of which our music books in their jigs and murkies offered us a rich supply and i immediately found out of myself the steps and other motions for them the time being quite suitable to my limbs and as it were born with them footnote a murky is defined as an old species of short composition for the harpsichord with a lively murmuring accompaniment of the bass and footnote this pleased my father to a certain degree indeed he often by way of joke for himself and us let the quote, monkeys end quote, dance in this way after my misfortune with gretchen and during the whole of my residence in leipzig i did not make my appearance on the floor on the contrary i still remember that when at a ball they forced me into a minuet both measure and motion seemed to have abandoned my limbs and i could no longer remember either the steps or the figures so that i should have been put to disgrace and shame if the greater part of the spectators had not maintained that my awkward behavior was pure obstinacy assumed with the view of depriving the ladies of all desire to invite me and draw me into their circle against my will during my residence in frankfurt i was quite cut off from such pleasures but in strasbourg with other enjoyments of life there soon arose in my limbs the faculty of keeping time on sundays and weekdays one sauntered by no pleasure ground without finding there a joyous crowd assembled for the dance and for the most part revolving in the circle moreover there were private balls in the country houses and people were already talking of the brilliant masquerades of the coming winter here indeed i should have been out of my place and useless to the company when a friend who waltzed very well advised me to practice myself first in parties of a lower rank so that afterwards i might be worth something in the highest he took me to a dancing master who was well known for his skill this man promised me that when i had in some degree repeated the first elements and made myself master of them he would then lead me farther he was one of your dry ready french characters and received me in a friendly manner i paid him a month in advance and received twelve tickets for which he agreed to give me certain hours instruction the man was strict and precise but not pedantic and as i already had some previous practice i soon gave him satisfaction and received his commendation one circumstance however greatly facilitated the instruction of this teacher he had two daughters both pretty and both not yet twenty having been instructed in this art from their youth upwards they showed themselves very skilful 
and might have been able as partners soon to help even the most clumsy scholars into some cultivation they were both very polite spoke nothing but french and i on my part did my best that i might not appear awkward or ridiculous before them i had the good fortune that they likewise praised me and were always willing to dance a minuet to my father's little violin and what indeed was more difficult for them to initiate me by degrees into waltzing and whirling their father did not seem to have many customers and they led a lonely life for this reason they often asked me to remain with them after my hour and to chat away the time a little which i the more willingly did as the younger one pleased me well and generally they both altogether behaved very becomingly i often read aloud something from a novel and they did the same the elder who was as handsome as perhaps even handsomer than the second but who did not correspond with my taste so well as the latter always conducted herself towards me most obligingly and more kindly in every respect she was always at hand during the lesson and often protracted it hence i sometimes thought myself bound to offer back a couple of tickets to her father which however he did not accept the younger on the contrary although never showing me any ill-will was more reserved and waited till she was called by her father before she relieved the elder the cause of this became manifest to me one evening when after the dance was done i was about to go into the sitting-room with the elder she held me back and said let us remain here a little longer for i will confess to you that my sister has with her a woman who tells fortunes from cards and who is to reveal to her how matters stand with an absent lover on whom her whole heart hangs and upon whom she has placed all her hope mine is free she continued and i must accustom myself to see it despised i thereupon said sundry pretty things to her replying that she could at once convince herself on that point by consulting the wise woman likewise that i would do so myself for i had long wished to learn something of the kind but lacked faith she blamed me for this and assured me that nothing in the world was surer than the responses of this oracle only it must be consulted not out of sport and mischief but solely in real affairs however i at last compelled her to go with me into that room as soon as she had ascertained that the consultation was over we found her sister in a very cheerful humour and even towards me she was kinder than usual sportive and almost witty for since she seemed to be secure of an absent friend she might have thought it no treachery to be a little gracious with a present friend of her sister's which she thought me to be the old woman was now flattered and good payment was promised her if she would tell the truth to the elder sister and to me with the usual preparations and ceremonies she began her business in order to tell the fair one's first fortune she carefully considered the situation of the cards she seemed to hesitate it would not speak out what she had to say i see now said the younger who was already being acquainted with the interpretation of such a magic tablet 
you hesitate and do not wish to disclose anything disagreeable to my sister but that is a cursed card the elder one turned pale but composed herself and said only speak out it will not cost one's head the old woman after a deep sigh showed her that she was in love that she was not beloved that another person stood in the way and other things of like import we saw the good girl's embarrassment the old woman thought something to improve the affair by giving hopes of letters and money letters said the lovely child i do not expect and money i do not desire if it is true as you say that i love i deserve a heart that loves me in return let us see if it will not be better replied the old woman as she shuffled the cards and laid them out a second time but before the eyes of all of us it had only become still worse the fair one stood not only more lonely but surrounded with many sorrows her lover had moved somewhat farther and the intervening figures nearer the old woman wished to try it a third time and in hopes of a better prospect but the beautiful girl could restrain herself no longer she broke out into uncontrollable weeping her lovely bosom heaved violently she turned round and rushed out of the room i knew not what to do inclination kept me with one present compassion drove me to the other my situation was painful enough comfort lucinda said the younger go after her i hesitated how could i comfort her without at least assuring her of some sort of affection and could i do that at such a moment in a cool moderate manner let us go together said i to amelia i know not whether my presence will do her good replied she yet we went but found the door bolted lucinda made no answer we might knock shout entreat as we would we must let her have her own way said amelia she will not have it otherwise now and indeed when i called to my mind her manner from our very first acquaintance she always had something violent and unequal about her and chiefly showed her affection for me by not behaving to me with rudeness what was i to do i paid the old woman richly for the mischief she had caused and was about to go when amelia said i stipulate that the card shall now be cut for you too the old woman was ready do not let me be present cried i and hastened downstairs the next day i had not courage to go there the third day early in the morning amelia sent me a word by a boy who had already brought me many a message from the sisters and had carried back flowers and fruits to them in return that i should not fail that day i came at the usual hour and found the father alone who in many respects improved my paces and steps by goings and comings by bearing and behavior and moreover seemed to be satisfied with me the younger daughter came in towards the end of the hour 
and danced with me a very graceful minuet in which her movements were extraordinarily pleasing and her father declared that he had rarely seen a prettier and more nimble pair upon his floor after the lesson i went as usual into the sitting-room the father left us alone i missed lucinda she is in bed said amelia and i am glad of it do not be concerned about it her mental illness is first alleviated when she fancies herself bodily sick she does not like to die and therefore she then does what we wish we have certain family medicines which she takes and reposes and thus by degrees the swelling waves subside she is indeed too good and amiable in such an imaginary sickness and as she is in reality very well and is only attacked by passion she imagines various kinds of romantic deaths with which she frightens herself in a pleasant manner like children when we tell them ghost stories thus only last night she announced to me with great vehemence that this time she would certainly die and that only when she was really near death they should bring again before her the ungrateful false witness who had at first acted so handsomely to her and now treated her so ill she would reproach him bitterly and then give up the ghost i know not that i am guilty exclaimed i of having expressed any sort of affection for her i know somebody who can best bear me witness in this respect amelia smiled and rejoined i understand you but if we are not discreet and determined we shall all find ourselves in a bad plight together what will you say if i entreat you not to continue your lessons you have i believe four tickets yet of the last month and my father has already declared that he finds it inexcusable to take your money any longer unless you wish to devote yourself to the art of dancing in a more serious manner what is required by a young man of the world you possess already and do you amelia give me this advice to avoid your house replied i yes i do said she but not of myself only listen when you hastened away the day before yesterday i had the cards cut for you and the same response was repeated thrice and each time more emphatically you were surrounded by everything good and pleasing by friends and great lords and there was no lack of money the ladies kept themselves at some distance my poor sister in particular stood always the farthest off one other advanced constantly near to you but never came up to your side for a third person of the male sex always came between i will confess to you that i thought that i myself was meant by the second lady and after this confession you will best comprehend my well-meant counsel to an absent friend i have promised my heart and my hand and until now i loved him above all yet it might be possible for your presence to become more important to me than hitherto and what kind of a situation would you have between two sisters one of whom you have made unhappy by your affection and the other by your coldness and all this ado about nothing but only for a short time for if we had not already known who you are and what are your expectations 
the cards would have placed it before my eyes in the clearest manners fare you well she said and gave me her hand i hesitated now said she leading me towards the door that it may really be the last time that we shall speak to each other take what i would otherwise have denied you she fell upon my neck and kissed me most tenderly i embraced her and pressed her into my bosom at this moment the side door flew open and her sister in a light but becoming nightdress rushed out and cried you shall not be the only one to take leave of him amelia let me go and lucinda seized me clung close to my heart pressed her black locks upon my cheeks and remained in this position for some time and thus i found myself between the two sisters in the dilemma amelia had prophesied to me in a moment before lucinda let me loose and looked earnestly into my face i was about to grasp her hand and say something friendly to her but she turned herself away walked with violent steps up and down the room for some time and then threw herself into a corner of the sofa Amelia went to her, but was immediately repulsed, and here began a scene which is yet painful to me in the recollection, and which, although really it had nothing theatrical about it, but was quite suitable to a lively young Frenchwoman, could only be properly repeated in the theatre by a good and feeling actress. Lucinda overwhelmed her sister with a thousand reproaches this is not the first heart she cried that was inclining itself to me and that you have turned away was it not just so with him who is absent and who at last betrothed himself to you under my very eyes i was compelled to look on i endured it but i know how many thousand tears it has cost me this one too you have now taken away from me without letting the other go and how many do you not manage to keep at once i am frank and good-natured and every one thinks he knows me soon and may neglect me you are secret and quiet and people think wonders about what may be concealed behind you yet there is nothing behind but a cold selfish heart that can sacrifice everything to itself this nobody learns so easily because it lies deeply hidden in your breast and just as little do they know of my warm true heart which i carry about with me as open as my face emilia was silent and had sat down by her sister who became constantly more and more excited in her discourse and let certain private matters slip out which it was not exactly proper for me to know Amelia, on the other hand, who was trying to pacify her sister, made me a sign from behind that I should withdraw. But as jealousy and suspicion see with a thousand eyes, Lucinda seemed to have noticed this also. She sprang up and advanced to me, but not with vehemence. She stood before me and seemed to be thinking of something. Then she said, I know that I have lost you i make no further pretensions to you but neither shall you have him sister 
so saying she took a thorough hold of my head thrusting both her hands into my locks and pressing my face to hers and kissed me repeatedly on the mouth now cried she fear my curse woe upon woe for ever and ever to her who kisses these lips for the first time after me dare to have anything more to do with him i know heaven hears me this time and you sir hasten now hasten away as fast as you can i flew down the stairs with the firm determination never again to enter the house End of section 32 End of the Autobiography of Goethe, Volume 1, by Johann von Goethe, translated by John Oxenford.